The Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, a cruise through time, Jurassic Park meets the Build-A-Bear Workshop and a classic of hard SF. Plus, we meet the newest members of the Bain team and continue our ongoing audiobook serialization of John Ringo's Live Free or Die, all right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David Afshirod. As we close out 2021, I wanted to take a moment to thank all of our listeners. 2021 marked some big changes at the Bain Free Radio Hour, and we appreciate all of you who stuck with us through the transitions. And thanks to all of our new listeners as well. As you'll hear later on in the show, it's not just the podcast that has undergone something of a metamorphosis. There have been big changes at Bain at large, with Sean C.W. Korsgaard coming on as assistant editor and DJ Butler joining the team as consulting editor. Bain publisher Tony Weiskopf and I sat down with those gentlemen to talk about their backgrounds and what's in store for Bain in the new year and beyond. So here's to 2022. But first, the news. The January mass market paperbacks are in. First up, The Macedonian Hazard by Eric Flint, Gorg Huff, and Paula Goodlett. Stranded in a distant past of hope and strife, cruise ship Queen of the Sea has been accidentally transported from the modern-day present to the ancient Mediterranean not long after the death of Alexander the Great. Now, Captain Lars Floden and the other ship people attempt to plant the seeds of 21st century civilization in the distant past. Although they have alliances among the locals, upstart heir Cassander is using foul means to claim Macedonia and Greece. Brutal general Antigonus One-Eye is doing the same in Mesopotamia, and Pharaoh Ptolemy, the cleverest of them all, is expanding his Egyptian realm to the Red Sea. It's a strange brew that has a chance to transform history and help humanity avoid centuries of strife. That is, if it doesn't kill everyone first. Next up, it's Domesticating Dragons by Dan Kobold. Jurassic Park meets the Build-A-Bear Workshop. In the near future, all the dogs are dead from an incurable plague. The solution? Domesticated dragons. Noah Parker, a brilliant young genetic engineer, is thrilled to land his dream job helping Reptilian Corp put a dragon into every home. But while happily creating custom-made dragons, Noah discovers that Reptilian Corp itself may not be all that it seems. Delving into the dangerous matters that someone very powerful does not wish discovered, Noah must seek the key to a secret locked in the genetic heart of a new breed of science-made dragons. A secret that may change the world forever. And finally, The Wellstone by Will McCarthy. Matter of life and death. Humanity has conquered the solar system and death itself has been vanquished. Wellstone, programmable matter, ensures that no one need ever age past adulthood. But the children of immortal parents, life remains a constant state of arrested development and a prince shall remain a prince forever, never inheriting the throne. So, what is a minor royal to do? That's the Macedonian Hazard, Domesticating Dragons, and the Wellstone. And that's it for the news. Now listen as we welcome the newest members of the Bain team. Everybody, we are here, believe it or not, in the Bain offices, not from my soundproof bunker, bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas, <laughs> doing the Bain free radio hour. And we are here to welcome some new members of the team. Let's introduce them. Of course, not a new member of the team. To my left is Tony Weiskopf, publisher, editor-in-chief, and art director of Bain Books. That means she is the boss 
she has been on the podcast before. I'm sure you are all familiar with her. Tony, it is great to be here with you in person. David, it is, it is great to be here and uh, to be in the North Carolina offices and uh, have, have the, the whole team around us. Um, it's great to talk to the podcast audience, five podcast audience. <laughs> and then uh, over to her left is Mr. DJ Dave Butler. He is the author of many Bane books, including the Witchy War series. Uh, the Indrigit and Fix novel in the Palace of Shadow and Joy, uh, the Cunning Man novels with Aaron Michael Ritchie. We have talked to him, and of course, you know him. Uh, he has been guest hosting some of our interviews here on the Bang Free Radio Hour, and he's going to be doing some other things for us. So we'll talk about that and uh, some of his other new duties while he is here uh, with us in, in the office. Dave. Hey, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And the newest member, I guess, right, of the Bain so far. staff so far to date, <laughs> as of the recording of this podcast, uh, Sean C.W. Korsgaard. He is an Army veteran and a former journalist, and he is now, uh, oh, you are a consulting editor, we should say, and we'll talk about what that means. Sure. And he is now uh, associate editor, assistant editor, assistant, assistant, assistant editor, editor. <laughs> something with an A. I know it's in the right ballpark. Oh. Always a reporter, but I'm the new assistant editor and handling media relations for Bain Books, and it is a sincere honor and pleasure to be here. All right. Well, great. Well, uh, this is sort of a welcome to Bain, just to kind of uh, bring these guys into the fold. So we want to talk a little bit about what they're going to be doing. But uh, Dave, we said you are consulting editor. I was a consulting editor. Congratulations now on I'm your not, promotion. I Thank you. You I'm are no longer a consulting editor. What have I done? Associate editor. You're, an associate I'm, editor. I'm, You're I'm, the associate editor. I'm, I'm the associate <laughs> editor. Uh, I'm no longer consulting. Yeah, well done. You can't consult me about it. I will not consult you. <laughs> but we will consult you. So what is a consulting editor? You, Of course, we know that you've been uh, helping me out with the podcast here. Yes. Uh, what else will you be doing? And so that's an interesting question. I think the the uh, the most exciting thing for me is that I'm just on the team and I'm here to help. And I think the truth is we're going to find out over time what, what exactly needs to be done. And, and I'm here to do things. Uh, as of now, uh, I've already been recording podcast interviews. You, you've uh, seen, uh, as of when this airs, you've probably seen me talking with uh, uh, Dave Barrett, Chuck Hannon, David Weber, and Michael Z. Williamson. Uh, more to come. Um, I, uh, I look forward also to being involved in developmental editing of, of books uh, and also hope to be representing Bain on the road, uh, doing a road show uh, at conventions as I, we hopefully get back to sort of a more normal convention life. And, and again, with, with whatever else needs to be done. We're going to be practicing the book toss. Oh, good. Yeah. So that we, we give away books um, at the at conventions, at the Bay Traveling Road shows, and sometimes we we toss the books into the audience. So there's oh, an art, there is an art to that. The non-wounding toss. Exactly. Behind yes. the office, we have a, like a practice field. Don't tell our the key is to not throw the hard covers corner first. Well, that, yeah, I, and you know sometimes you have to. You know, some sometimes there are hecklers. In, yeah. in, in, but we, we, we're not going to get into those, those trade trade secrets. <laughs> right. Trade yeah. secrets. Very good. Uh, you talked about doing some developmental editing. What is a developmental edit for those folks who uh, maybe don't know? And uh, you have obviously, as a writer, been on the other side of the developmental editing. What's it going to be like? <laughs> You yeah, you now you have the power. Now I have <laughs> no. Now I have now I have the uh, the responsibility and the calling. Uh, well, well, to to be fair, you have been a developmental editor before. That's I have true. been as before. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I did. I was a uh, uh, acquiring editor and did developmental editing work at Wordfire Press for three years. Um, so the developmental edit is the part of the edit in which the story itself gets worked on. Uh, the editor reads the story and makes recommendations. Um, in, in dialogue with the author about, you know, potential revisions around character or around around plot or setting, as opposed to um, more nitty gritty issues around, hey, we've got a we've got a conflict here, or we've got a spelling mistake. Uh, so, trying to help, um, David, you and I were talking about famous music recording engineer Steve Albini before this before this uh, we started recording here, and, and it's kind of it's kind of that uh, that vision of hey. You know, Albini talks about it. I want to, I, what I'm here to do is help the band capture their vision, right? So it's, hey, we picked a writer, and, and this writer and this book are consistent with what Bain wants to publish, right? Let's help her capture the vision, realize the vision of the book. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, that's a very tricky line to, to walk, um, to, 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 to be able to bring out the vision of the author and not impose your idea of, of right. what, mm -hmm. the, what, what the story should be. Yeah. Um, you know, part of what main editors bring to the party is a, a deep knowledge and a sense of what the market wants. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what we want to share with our authors, uh, to, to be able to help direct the story that they want to take to reach the largest possible audience. Um, and so, uh, so really glad to have uh, Dave on the team. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, me, no, me too. <laughs> well, and Dave, like I said, you've been on the other side of that. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Um, Yes. Does that bring a different, you know, having had those developmental edits, um, does that maybe bring some insight into sure. how you want to handle? Uh, yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, for one thing, I mean, I've, uh, I've had the learning experience and I want to transmit some of that some of that learning. Uh, Tony gave me one of one of the most uh, valuable pieces of writing instruction I ever received, uh -oh. and also one of the most <laughs> right three words long. So uh, when uh, we said, "Hey, we're going to acquire Witchy Eye," and forwarded a few comments from some of the other readers, and and she had a few specific comments herself, and then she said, "And make it shorter." Uh, and I looked at the two hundred and forty thousand word manuscript, and I said, "Oh, I don't know what to cut." Um, but just by virtue of having that directive without, without anything, nothing, anything mandated, I went in and I realized that, man, I could, I actually cut out 35,000 words of pure fat from the prose. Either I had in the same paragraph duplicated the idea or I had unnecessary adverbs or dialogue tags or, and I just, and, and it really changed the way those three words changed the way that I wrote. And, and, and so I, one reason I'm excited about this is I like to be able to, I like community. I like, um, I like, I want other writers to succeed. I want to be part of the success of other writers and, uh, and having, having been given gifts like that, um, I'm excited to go out and give those gifts to other people. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I, it's, it's a Community matters a lot to us here at Bain, um, and it's, uh, it's it's great to be able to, to, to work with people who, under, who understand that and want to nurture the community here. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to, to have Dave on board and have Sean on board. Too. Yeah, and so, Sean, let's I'll shift in my chair to talk with you. Um, you are assistant editor. Yes, yes sir. Um, <laughs> I got that title right. Um what uh, what and you're also media relations, which is exciting. And I think that's something um, you have a, somewhat of a marketing background and a reporting background. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, we were talking before some of the um, outreach uh, that you were hoping to do with uh, and you have a military background. So uh, tell us how that's going to play into what you're going to be doing here at base. I am coming from a close to a decade of report. 1,500 bylines to my name, everybody from my local paper to the New York Times. Nice. And I know how reporters think, how they approach a story. And with all due respect to my many, many lovely colleagues in public relations, how much they hate canned PR statements. <laughs> <laughs> and I know the books and authors we have here. So I know how to connect them to the proper reporters, to their... And one thing I do hope to do is increase our outreach to their local papers, because speaking as somebody who's worked at small papers, mid-sized papers, you give a reporter a choice between a nice sit down with a local author with a book coming out or sitting five hours in the back of a room of a school board meeting that everybody's just going to leave a bunch of angry comments on the next day. <laughs> it's a no brainer which story you prefer to write. And I know how to pitch these stories to these reporters, how to make sure we get the best article out of it, both on our end, on their end, and everybody comes home happy with a great article out of it. Yeah, yeah. that's great. We, we do it, there are a lot of programs that we do at Bain that, uh, that uh, I'm looking forward to, 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 to seeing more, um, uh, more coverage on. Um, uh, one of the things that's near, near and dear to both your heart and my heart is the, um, the books that we send out to uh, anybody who's deployed. I'll openly admit one of the biggest reasons I was happy to take this job is that Bain has always done a tremendous job supporting our military and our veterans. Uh, 
If you ever attended one of our road shows, you'll know one of the first things they do is ask for anybody in uniform or prior service, give them a free book and a handshake. And that means a lot. I'm one of those people that got one of those box deliveries and every time we'd get a box of Bane books from the USO, it was like Christmas morning in the unit. I know how much little things like that matter to soldiers, to veterans, and I hope to find a lot more ways that we can do that to already build upon the fantastic foundation we have with the military and with veterans here at Bain and build something even more beautiful out of it. That's great. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, um, we were talking about, this is a good segue, um, <laughs> we thought what would be a fun thing to discuss while we're all sitting here, and that was when you first became aware of Bain or encountered Bain, uh, you kind of hinted at it with you, uh, but you just said, so I'll start with you. Uh, <sighs> this is going to be a bit of an embarrassing monologue, and please, Bain fans, feel free to make jokes at <laughs> my expense. They will. The first paperback I got with the Bain logo on it was John Ringo's Cheers of the Slain. I love John Ringo. I love his work, but... I actually wrote him a nice letter afterward telling him how much I enjoyed the book. And his response was, really? That was your introduction to me? I am so sorry. <laughs> that sounds like John. Yeah. Although Choosers of the Slate is a great novel. It's a great techno thriller. But when you start with the Kildar novels, it's, it's all the deep end. You know, it's the deep end. Yeah. Right. We're throwing you the deep end. If you, can, yeah. if you can love the Kildar novels, Hammer Slammers, Monster Hunter International, or the great, you know, <laughs> or the zombie novels from Ringo are, you know, cakewalks. Love them. <laughs> and my, my first Heinlein novel was I Will Fear No Evil, <laughs> which, is, which is arguably his worst novel. But that was, but, you know, so if you like that one, you're going to love the rest of yeah. Heinlein. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but yeah. It yeah. was a good introduction and more to that. You know, again, I wrote Ringo a letter afterward. He wrote me a very nice letter back and it started a introduction that the folks here at Bain are always friendly to fans, willing to interact with them, give them advice. I'm proud to say over the past years, I've come to call many of the people with our logo on the spine, friends, colleagues, and Dave's one of them. But <laughs> it's nice to know that the people here at Bain are more than just here to sell a book. They are about that community, like Tony hinted at. And yeah, be it the fans yeah. or the people writing the books we love, it's nice to know that Bain is such a welcoming place. Yeah. All right, so so, so Dave, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. So what was the first Bain book that so you ever read? The first Bain book I ever read, <laughs> I read when it was not a Bain book. Whoa. Was it a reprint, you ask? No. <laughs> it was Tony Daniels, Guardian of Night. Ah. So uh, I think I may be in this. Let me look. I'm going to look in the acknowledgments. <laughs> yep. Oh, second, I missed second line. Second line is <laughs> uh, a thank you to me. So Tony, I've told this story on the podcast before, but Tony, Tony Daniel, former podcast host, long running, uh, former Bain editor, uh, was a teacher of mine at yeah. the University of Texas at Dallas. I took a um, literature of science fiction and fantasy class, and he was the teacher. And uh, I found that he was a science fiction writer, and I was like, I'm gonna make make something happen so i bugged him i would hang out after class with some people and we would talk with tony to, and he also taught writing so i would do that and i weaseled my way into his writing group you know <laughs> which he really didn't want undergrads in he wanted to only be grad students but i was like but if i don't leave <laughs> um and tony uh he had written this i think the still in Dallas, right? I'm trying oh, to yeah, think of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to remember now. And so I read this uh, novel uh, and gave him some notes on it. I don't know if he took them. Uh, it, <laughs> they may or may not have been good. I was pretty, uh, you know, pretty inexperienced at the time, but he was kind enough to thank me for my notes anyways. And uh, then he um, winds up working at Bain, uh, coming up here. And uh, again, the other funny stories, I went to graduate school up at uh, down the road here at NC State. Yeah. And uh, I moved up here um, and then, yeah, I'm sorry. I moved up here and then Tony Daniels like, I'm moving up here to work at Bain. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then, and then it ends with, with me sitting here doing this. Oh, that's right. Is the story. So yeah. anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so 
so yeah, so volunteer to be a beta reader. That's the yep. Thing. That's you, you never know what will happen. That's, so, that's, yeah. that's the takeaway. Now, uh, your history with Bain Tony is, of course, longer than any of us. Much, ours. much longer. Than um, so much older than I'm all not of trying to say. But I see you have some books in your hand, though. I, so. I, I do. Uh, I do. My, my first, my, my first um, memory of Bain was being annoyed by the ads in. Uh, the uh, uh, in, in Asimov Science Fiction magazine because Jim had a, had a really smart plan to make people notice the ads and they were all black um, with with white type instead of white with black type. So when you when when you were holding the page, the black the black <laughs> stuff, the black background ink would come off on your hand, and it was really annoying. But then you noticed the ads, and so what I I noticed the ads for two of my favorite authors were being published by this brand new publishing company, Jack Vance and Paul Anderson. I'm like, oh my God, a new uh, 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 Game of of Empire, what what is the series? The uh, Polysotechnic series, Um, a new Flandry, new Flandry novel was gonna be out and and, and a Jack Vance novel. And so I put these on my Christmas list and I got these for Christmas that year. Um, little did I know <laughs> that 40 years later I would be here and uh, uh, running the company. And uh, so that's that's a be careful what you ask for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the moral of that story. Um, one of the first books that um, when I came here that Jim shoved into my hands were uh, were Lois Bujold's um, books. Um, the, uh, the the first two, I think, have, have already been uh, published when I got here. And I said, there's no good, see, it's older authors, there's no good new science fiction being published. I want, you know, I'm a big Heinlein fan, but I want something that gives me that Heinlein feeling. But, you know, when I've read all the Heinleins, and he's like, here, read these and shut up. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I did, and, and I've had the honor of publishing Lois for that for, for the yeah. entire period. And that's really exciting, too. Well, what was your what was your first uh, encounter with me? So I actually think this is the uh, the specific book. This is not the volume. Uh, the volume is here and uh, on the shelves. Uh, I didn't buy it. I just remember uh, noticing on the university bookstore shelves that had a really good science fiction fantasy section. Uh, Hammer Slammers with these really bright tank filled and explosions uh, covers, kind of about showing the 83, 84, 85, something yeah, like that. Well, yeah, Paul Alexander was the artist for this. He did such a great job. Yeah, yeah. so eye catching. Uh, and uh, But I think I, I remember an orange cover, so actually, I think it's probably this one, uh, which I actually haven't read to date. I still have not read this. I oh, never seen it. Uh, I know, out, I know. <laughs> I, have read, I have read other David Arsian novels and, uh, uh, and the Arthurian stuff. I, I will tell you, if you have to read mm. one David Drake book, mm. it should be Red Lineage. Okay, I, I have that one. I read that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, this should be the second one. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah. I, I will be reading. You should read all of them soon. <laughs> and well, buy them. <laughs> that's Sorry, that's so true. I, all right. So, I'm uh, so yeah, and then and then. Uh, so what was the first thing that, that you actually read? That's a really good question. I'm not sure. So I think it's. Um, I went for a number of years without reading fiction, just reading nonfiction yeah. when I was practicing lawyer. Uh, and but, but I, I got back in kind of 2005 or so. Uh, reread all the stuff I'd read as a kid yeah. uh, and then started looking for new things. And that's where I encountered, encountered uh, David Weber and uh, Larry Correa were probably the first two. Uh, so uh, Basilisk Station and Monster Hunter International. Oh, those are great to start. And both of those are in the Bain Free Library. Oh, yeah. So, so you can read those for free. You can read them for yeah. free. And then buy all the rest of the, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> and buy the hardcovers of those because yes. you like it so much. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the plan. Yes, that's, that's, that's our nefarious. <laughs> um, you've also told a story before, and I'll just tell it briefly again, which is that you had read Tim Powers, who we know. Oh yeah, much, and but you they only had one book of his in the library. Yeah, and you and you know this is pr- and I, mean, I thought what a one shot wonder, so, <laughs> so tragic. <laughs> He wrote this great book about this Arthur King Arthur reincarnated as a soldier of fortune at the fall of Vienna. How did he not write 20 other novels? Yeah, and it turns out he did. And then back in 2005, when I came back, I was like, whoa, and then I read Declare, and I read uh, 
uh, last call, uh, last call and, and all the other times. I have a shelf of Tim Powers, which I have moved now into my bookshelf of my friends, as yeah. opposed ah. to just other sci-fi, which was so wonderful for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm thrilled to, to, to have met him, which happened through Beck, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we're really proud to be publishing Tim, yeah. and uh, that he's still, in fact, writing great novels. So yeah, yeah. It turns out, yeah, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Um, what else can we talk about? Let's talk about what we have coming up, I guess, for you especially. I want you to plug your book. Oh, my next novel out yeah. is uh, Abbott and Darkness. Uh, it is uh, what May is that right? Ish. Oh, I have no idea. So something like that. <laughs> um, and uh, it is a it is a it is a science fiction novel. It's not really my first bang science fiction novel. In the in the Palace of Shadow and Joy is actually science fiction, but it's. It's fancy and kind of science fiction, so it sort of feels like it's fantasy. Yeah. Uh, and um, but Abbott and Darkness feels like science fiction. It's really it's really kind of an East India Company story. It's about uh, space travel is slow, and there's a there's a corporation that basically runs a system, and have become a law unto themselves, and uh, not even an idealistic, but a good young family man, an accountant. Uh, who comes out of school on his first job and, and realizes he's bought into um, a place with some deeply mixed uh, morality and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and some, some deadly criminal conspiracies. Uh, yeah. So, Abbott and Darkness. Uh, yeah. I can't remember, where did I, where, no, you, we're good. It has okay, a dog. Okay. It ends with, it has a dog. It has a dog. Uh, it has a dog. It has my dog in it, actually. Yes. Yeah. Except, she, except in the book, she changes colors with the seasons. No, Which in real life she does not do. Right. Mine does because we have red dirt. So, oh right, so okay. When it gets dry or when it gets muddy, I have a different color dog. Yeah. The yeah. ours co the coat thins out a little bit, so sort of the 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 depth of her blackness changes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, so Sean, you are. Uh, so I think we'll let you plug your own stuff. I think you, do you have some stories and some stuff you're working on as well. I you're also a writer. Aspiring writer, Aspiring, I'll be the first yes. to admit, I have a lovely long list of non-form rejections from nearly every magazine in the business, <laughs> but I am proud to say that I am a Bain Fantasy Adventure Award finalist. I'm Ooh. very proud of the story that got that. Uh, another story, I, well, I know for a fact, I, Tony just approved it last week. I will be co-editing my first anthology alongside my predecessor, Christopher Rocchio. Yeah, this is the, um, what's it called? World's Long Lost. Or... World's Long Lost. Yes. And okay. it is an anthology with a, so far, looks like 14 or 15 short stories, all themed around alien archaeology, big dumb objects in space, and possibly cursed objects that maybe we should have left there. <laughs> and, and, and this, this came about because we were inspired by a, a piece of Bob Eagleton art that we'll be using for the cover. Oh, cool. Yeah. We have an intriguing list of authors so far, maybe a couple others on the way. Dave's one of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I talked Christopher. Totally finished and ready and done, right? Already written. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> Dave is prolific with short fiction. If we have a, if we have an anthology, 50-50 shot, he's in it. Well, there's a whole conversation to have about your editor-facing brand and how valuable it is to show editors that you're responsive and uh, turn in deadlines, uh, hit your deadlines, but. Yes. But this is probably not the right moment to have that conversation. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, though, I may be in it. If I can, uh, I talked Christopher into letting me uh, have a, take a whack at it. If I can get my three children to give me, you know, enough time to write a story. <laughs> if I can get it done. That's at, least yeah. you, at least you have the kids. I just have an ending I can't figure out. Well, yeah, there's yeah. that. Yeah. Well, what you need is a developmental editor. Yeah. I'm in the right place. Yeah. And we should mention that most of our anthologies um, are uh, by invitation only. Um, we do have, however, uh, two short story contests that are open call. They are um, for everybody um, and uh, they are judged blindly. So um, you send in a story and we'll be happy to consider it. So. Yeah, and those are, which Sean mentioned, uh, he was a finalist before you might the not nepotism win, but you might get in. a job offer. Yeah. <laughs> that happens about Th That every... happened once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's the Main Fantasy Adventure Award, which I think is in 
January? It opens, no, it's in October. January, and okay. the Fantasy Award opens in January, okay. closes in April, and we announce it at DragonCon. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, the, and then the other one is the Jim Bay Memorial Short Story Award. And that one we do in concert with, what do they call themselves now? The Interstellar Research, Research Group. Group. No, that's, no a, that's something else. That's that something else. Actually, no, this is with the National Space Society. That's right. Uh, William Ledbetter is the administrator for the Jim Bay Memorial Award. Um, and we present um, that uh, that the, the award winner at um, the uh, oh, what the hell is it being called? The conference, some sort of conference. <sighs> International Space Conference. No, something. It's close to that. Oh well. Um, we didn't make notes on this before yeah, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can we're, find out on bay.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. so you're gonna have to cut this part. But um, the uh, uh, but yes, that but the. Um, Jim Bay Memorial Award is for uh, science fiction, near future, near space, positive views of humans in space, and that uh, is open for um, submissions now, I believe. So check the website for the uh, for the dates and uh, rules for those contests. Yeah. So. And uh, let's think. So I think we're. Do we have anything? Yeah. Uh, you have any other questions? I don't know. Let's see. Um, I guess we could just, well, we kind of talked about background and everything. We'll cut this out, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I think, was that it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. Right. Cool. It's probably happening, right? Pretty close, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. All right. So let's see, read that. So, uh, well, gentlemen, lady, toad boss, <laughs> Tony. Uh, and toad boss. <laughs> uh, DJ Butler, Dave Butler, Tony Weiskopf, Sean C.W. Korsgaard, I'm David Apsharad, and it has been great talking with you all today, and uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, on the podcast, we may have you guys back on. You will certainly be back on. Yep. Um, Sean may pop up from time to time. I we'll certainly see. hope so. Tony as well, and uh, at any rate, your uh, influence will be felt here uh, in the books that we talk about, certainly going forward. So it has been great to uh, talk with you today, and it is great to have you on board the Bain team. All right. Thank you. Proud to be here. <laughs>
to make ends meet, I worked in a grocery store and a mill and cut wood during my free time. Now, as most people know, I'm at the center of this controversy over, of all things, maple syrup. And one of the richest men in the world. It has been an odd transition. The Horvath have demanded that everyone in this region collect maple syrup and turn it over to them, presumably for later sale to the Glatun, since it is unusable by the Horvath, just as they have demanded all this world's production of useful heavy metals. Their stated reason for this tribute is so that they can maintain the defense of this world. Tribute, however, is tribute, and let us not mince words, for we have come to an important time of decision. Within the next week, the people of this region must make preparation for the collection of maple sap to be boiled into syrup. The weather is turning, and the sap is starting to run. According to both the U.S. Weather Service and projections by the Glatun, this should be a spring of good harvest, if there is any harvest at all. Were I so inclined, one pair of hands simply cannot collect all the sap that must be collected. It requires many hands, many people, going out into the cold of a New England and Canadian spring working hard for a bounty that will, in turn, continue to keep the Horvath in our skies. Over the last month and a half, I have been traveling throughout this region, talking to people of every persuasion, getting the pulse of the residents of this region, people who do the tapping and boiling, people who depend upon the trade. I haven't been speaking with governors or congressmen, just common folk like myself. There is great fear and consternation. Like myself, the people of this region never expected to be embroiled in an international, interstellar controversy. They, we, are simple folk of the rural lands of these great nations. We get up every day and do our jobs, letting the great matters of this land and this world be handled by others. We, until this time of controversy did not care for such matters. The seasons of the year affected us more than the decisions made in Washington and Ontario. Now, as a people, we have been called upon to make great and momentous decisions, decisions reflecting both liberty and security. Liberty is an odd word, and for a long time it has been, in truth, degraded. Many who use the term liberty in truth mean libertine, and even those who fought in our courts and legislature over questions of liberty in truth meant things that are minor at best and puerile at worst. As we have now found out, liberty is not about where you can put your sexual organs, but about the essential question of whether we, as a people, can make our own decisions. And security is not about whether the government should be able to tap our phone, but about whether we are going to be allowed to take the next breath. Will our cities be ashes? Will we live? Will our children live? Yet, the battle over maple syrup, the inherent humor of the situation sometimes clouds the truly vast nature of the struggle. For it is not, in the end, what we give up, maple syrup or gold or platinum. It is of a piece. It is about whether we, as a people, as nations that were both conceived in liberty, will continue to cherish that concept. Benjamin Franklin once said, Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And in this current condition, there is, in fact, neither. I understand, as few but the most specialized experts understand, the strategic situation. The Horvath control our orbitals. We can fight, but there is simply no way to win. Fighting would appear to be a pointless exercise. The producer made a rolling motion and pointed to the ceiling of the mine. Time to speed it up.
Tyler breathed out hard and let loose a puff of smoky breath. Oops. But collecting this maple syrup requires the willing cooperation of thousands of people, men and women, Canadian and American, who have been born in the concept instilled in the idea of liberty. These people of the fields, woods, and mountains pour from these regions to fill our military, not as many city folk think because they're poor or desperate, but because this is their essential nature. No person is happy to give their life, but the people of this region believe that there is something larger than themselves. Not just God, although many are believers in God, but a vision, a philosophy, a shared belief in freedom and justice and the battle against tyranny. From their very mother's milk, they are filled with this belief that to die in the cause of freedom brings not heaven, but a better place here on earth for succeeding generations. I have taken the tenor of these people, and they are determined against yielding. As stubborn as the granite of their mountains, they almost in unanimity refuse to yield. They may, perhaps, will be destroyed, but they, and yes, their children, will die free. They, however, are not under threat. The Horvath threatened to destroy our cities, not these woods, mountains, and fields. Let me touch upon that. The Horvath are a very monolithic and communal culture. The very concept of liberty is foreign to them. So I'm going to have to explain something to the Horvath. You may be looking upon our cities as sort of communal groups for which the people of this region are gatherers. This is not, in fact, the case. The people of this region are their own communal grouping connected to, but not of, the cities. They are, in fact, almost invariably at odds with the groups of the cities. The cities, you dumb squids, are our enemies. You're threatening our enemies, you morons. We hate the people of the cities. I hate the people of the cities. Liberal, whining, socialist pussies. They've never given us anything but trouble. Please, please, please nuke Washington. What has Washington ever done for us? They just take and take and take the bastards. Kill them all. As for me, I'll tell you what I think, Tyler said, shouting. He jumped to his feet and flipped a bird at the ceiling, looking straight up. Give me liberty or give me death, you bastards! Live free or... Lost the signal from the cabin, Ryan said. Switch into secondary remote. On homes across the nation, the view was now of Tyler in front of the 1997 World Series. Ha! Tyler said, still flipping a bird at the ceiling. Miss me, you egg-sucking ignoramuses. Never heard of a laser relay or a green screen, have you? Go ahead and try to take our maple syrup, dumbasses. And secondary remote is gone, Ryan said. I think that's good enough, Tyler said. The Horvath are taking over all the broadcast airwaves, Bruce said. Let's hear it, Tyler said. People of the Maple region, you will deliver the syrup or you will be destroyed. We will destroy every home, every town, every person. You will all die. You will deliver the maple syrup, the speakerphone said in metallic tones. You will execute Tyler Vernon. You will destroy the resistance in the region. Or you will be eliminated. We're trying the president said. You've seen that we are trying. Those people may nominally be under our authority, but they are not under our control. We have an arrest warrant out for Tyler Vernon, but our agents, those that survive going up to the hills, have been unable to find him. Our military is half in mutiny and half pinned down by fire, some of it from our own forces. Is there anything that you can do? Remove your loyal troops, the Horvath said a few moments later. We will eliminate the resistance of the rural infestors, and then you will send your people of the urban colonies to collect the syrup. You're going to kill them? 
the president said. We will eliminate all resistors, the Horvath replied. I, the president said, gulping. I can't. He paused at a raised hand from the Marine Corps commandant. The commandant looked at the ceiling for a moment in thought, then nodded hard. The president made a face, but the commandant just raised his hand in an okay symbol. Very well, the president said dubiously. Feel free to eliminate the resistors in the region. We did not need your permission. The call cut off with a click. I just condemned the people of New England to aerial bombardment, the president said. Most of them have moved their families out of the region, the commandant said. Women and kids, mostly. Not even most of the women. The rest have dug in hard. You'd be surprised how many old mines, caves, and such there are in that area, which is probably where Vernon is hiding. The Horvath have kinetic bombardment systems and heavy lasers, the National Security Advisor said dryly. That area is going to take a pasting. How much can they do without seriously affecting the maple crop, the Commandant said. And we're talking about a dispersed population dug in. Think how much trouble we've been having in Afghanistan. Furthermore, that ship looks big to us. But if you actually do the tonnage and make a good guess on engine size compared to the Glatun ships we've seen, they can't actually be carrying that much KEW. Our estimate is, what, 16 city killers, Max? What exactly are they going to do with 16 nukes that don't even spread radiation against that area? Bomb Manchester? It's almost entirely evacuated. Lasers? Footprint of a meter. They can get the woods burning. Oh, boy, let them bomb the area. Encourage it. That's Vernon's whole plan. Mr. Vernon, the reporter said, we're very pleased to have this opportunity to interview you. Given that the Horvath have ordered you be delivered to them, there is a warrant out for your arrest for high treason and you are under continual threat. Isn't this just a little risky? Risk is part of life, Jamie, Tyler said. Given the situation, I'll admit I don't have a lot of freedom of movement, but freedom is a philosophy, not a condition. No truly free man can be made a slave. I will not be a slave to the Horvath or to a tyrannical government of socialists. You have some hard things to say about the residents of cities, Mr. Vernon, the reporter said. Since we all can't hide, is that particularly fair? Jamie, I've been fighting the tyranny of you lefty jerks my whole life. If you want to submit to the Horvath, that's up to you. I'm not willing to. He paused at a raised hand. I'm not sure how much of that go out, Ryan said as the room rumbled and dust fell from the roof. And we're losing transceivers? And it's pretty much harvest time, Bruce pointed out, packing up the gear, time to move again. I'm not a big fan of maple syrup anyway, Tyler said. How many people have we lost in this Charlie Fox? Not nearly as many as we should have, Bruce said. The biggest loss was a Peace Now demonstration in Burlington. They'd gathered around a big old historic maple figuring the Horvath couldn't possibly hit them. Wrong. Dead wrong. I had times when I'd find that really funny, Tyler said. Somehow, though, it's just not as funny as it used to be. You got a call coming in, Ryan said. Hypercom. Bet Osama wishes he had one of these, Tyler said, picking up the link. Tyler Vernon. Mr. Vernon, this is Sayank Morai with Hypernet Network News. Hi, Sank. Kind of busy at the moment. You're going to be busier soon, the reporter said. The Horvath have sent their final demands to your president. Stop the resistance and execute Tyler Alexander Vernon or Washington, Philadelphia, New York, and Boston will be destroyed. Their ship is coming up from the south, 
Then they will take up stable positions over the maple-producing regions and use their lasers to reduce them to ashes. That's as soon as their ship completes this latest orbit, which is now in... 47 minutes. I guess I got them a little riled, Tyler said, his heart sinking. Petra and the girls were outside Boston. Guess this is it. Can you get a word to the Horvath? We've sort of taken over your broadcast system, the reporter admitted. I mean, it's just sitting there. We might as well get out of the news business, the CBS producer snarled. We'd better get out of Washington first, the anchor replied. So the Horvath should be listening. Fine, Tyler said. They want me? I'll be at the summit of Mount Moriah when they come back around. I'll be nice and easy to spot. Isn't that suicide? Tired of hiding anyway, Tyler said, jumping on one of the ATVs parked in the cave. Let's do this thing. There were hardly any trails, much less roads, in the area, and what trails were accessible by ATVs did not make it to the top of Mount Moriah. The last 200 meters had really sucked. It was also bitterly cold didn't cut it, in Tyler's opinion. The recent cold front was yet to completely pass, and the air was not only below freezing, but in one of those tricks possible only in a place as screwed up weather-wise as the White Mountains, humid. He was standing waist-deep in snow in a thin, wind-driven icy fog. It was the sort of cold that didn't just cut to the bone. It went right through layers of clothes, skin, flesh, and bone so fast that it only stopped when it got around to freezing the marrow. Then it started to chill the body from the inside out. His parts that were in snow were the warmest parts of his body. The Horvath had better kill him quick or the hypothermia was going to do the job for them. Despite the thin fog, it was a great view, though. I can see a house from here, Mr. Hazelbauer said, huffing up the last few feet to the summit. Couldn't you have picked a lower spot? What the hell are you doing here? Tyler asked. This is my big moment. Get your own. So this is your plan, Mr. Hazelbauer asked. Die? I figured you were going to use your secret smelting lasers. The Horvath ship has a shield, Tyler said, sighing. We couldn't scratch it. So yeah, this is my plan. Die. Sometimes it works. Heroic defeats have led to most of the great victories in history. Let somebody smarter figure out how to defeat the Horvath ship. Hopefully motivated by that poor, brave, doomed bastard Tyler Vernon. Fake it as much, Hazelbauer said which is why I'm here. Couldn't let the Rebs get all the credit. You and your Rebs, Tyler said, shaking his head. He took out his cell phone and loaded in the battery. It had been out for a couple of months and the charge was low, but what the hell, it wouldn't have to last long. And with the carrier signal going, there was no way that the Horvath could miss and hit some innocent. Hopefully, with him dead, they'd back off on destroying the region at least for a while. He fumed for a moment, then couldn't hold it in. The only reason you won was you outnumbered us ten to one and had all the cannon foundries. And that might not have happened if Jackson hadn't had his first bad day at Seven Pines. The Union's as bad as the Horvath. Shouldn't start a war if you don't have cannon, Mr. Hazelbauer said smugly. Well, that was the point, wasn't it? Tyler said. The South wanted industries, and northern monopolies abetted by northern congressmen wouldn't allow it. So when we started to sell our agricultural products to the British for, among other things, mill equipment, you went and put a block on that, an unconstitutional block, given that it was essentially a 100% export tariff. There's a reason it's called the War of Northern Aggression. His phone rang, and he pulled it out with a snarl. What? 
Mr. Vernon, are you and Jason Hazelbauer, a noted resistance leader, actually re-arguing your country's civil war in your last few moments? Oh, hi, this is Sayank Morai with Hypernet News Network. Your cell phone network isn't exactly secure either. Not much better to do, Sayank, Tyler said, dropping smoothly into professional mode. It's pretty cold up here. Ask those Horvath to hurry, will you? A nice orbital death ray would feel good about now. On that subject, the betting on your survival is a hundred to one. Do you have any comment? I'll take a thousand credits on the nose, Tyler said instantly. Isn't that a bit of a risk? Tyler closed his eyes and wondered if there was some sort of lobotomy involved in becoming a newscaster. If I live, I get a hundred thousand credits, Hank, Tyler said, slowly. If I die, I won't really care that I'm out of grand. Think about it. True. Well, your bid has been registered by a bookie called Ungatuli the Knife, who says you'd better be good for it. Aware that these may be my last words, I'm good for it. You have about three minutes. The moment of decision for Washington, however, has passed, and the Horvath seem to have chosen not to fire. Damn it, Tyler said. What does it take to get these guys to get rid of all our problems for us? You really don't care for city people, do you? Hate them, Tyler said. Bombing's too good for them. They need to be chopped into little bits and buried alive. And Philadelphia. Apparently the Horvath disagree. Don't care for Horvath either, Tyler said. Especially if they're not going to gut cities. And New York is still there. The Horvath ship is about to clear the horizon, Mr. Tyler. Seriously, last words. Tyler thought about it for a second and then shrugged. There is no joy without pain, no victory without sacrifice. This is my victory. Very nice. Sorry, cutting in here, a new voice said. Horvath ship, take no hostile action in regards to the maple-gathering regions of their polity or tribes. Say again, take no hostile actions or you will be destroyed. This is unacceptable a metallic Horvath voice replied. Who is this? This is Commander Faith Riang of the Glatun heavy cruiser Kagungwe, and Tyler was looking up and actually caught the sparkle. Not only are you about the size of my longboat, your shields are down. Power down your weapons and leave orbit so we can negotiate, or I will finish what my secondaries just did with my main gun. Mr. Vernon? Yes, Tyler said. Could you ask your people to possibly begin gathering maple syrup? My sailors are about to mutiny. Right away, Tyler said. Hey, everybody. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. Time to get to work. Thank you. I assure you, you won't have any more trouble from your Horvath benefactors. Tyler hung up the phone and shrugged. So, we froze our ass off for nothing. Can't say that, Mr. Hazelbauer said. It's still a fine view. Take it the cavalry arrived. Yep, Tyler said, feeling strangely depressed and badly in need of a drink. And now we've got to actually, you know, work. Been working my whole life, Mr. Hazelbauer said. Best make some calls. Yeah, Tyler said, looking at his phone. Me too. He hit speed dial. Hi, Petra. Can I talk to the girls? Mr. Vernon, the CNN reporter said to a background of a boiling pan of maple syrup. Things seem to be progressing well in the maple syrup harvest. Quite well, Courtney, Tyler said. Despite some reports to the contrary, the weather is cooperating very well and looks to be a bumper crop. So, all's well that ends well, the reporter said. Mr. Vernon, you said some very harsh things about the people of our great nation cities, 
Surely you weren't serious. Courtney, Tyler said seriously, I'm an American patriot, all of America. I don't care for certain strains of politics, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't give my life to save the lives of others, of the Terrans even. I just wish that those who disagree with me could at least agree on that. So you weren't serious, the reporter said, confused. Why in the world would you say those things? You really upset a lot of people, not to mention making yourself and the people of this region a primary target. Were you crazy? Oh, I don't like city folk, Tyler said. Don't care for their politics, don't care for their attitude, which is more ignorant and provincial than they can possibly understand since they are ignorant and provincial. But it doesn't mean I wanted anyone to die. Quite the opposite. As to why I said it, I'll leave you with the words of the smartest rabbit I know. Please, Br'er Fox, don't throw me in that briar bush. That was John Ringo's Live Free or Die, and that's it for the news. Thanks, as always, to Audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judkiewicz. Praise, thanks, gratitude, and welcome aboard to Sean C.W. Korsgaard and DJ Butler, and thanks to Tony Weisskopf. And good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David F. Shirerod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week and next year at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars.